Hey champions, this is your weekly podcast about Genesis Battle of Champions. And in this cast, we talk about everything related to game design, development, testing, and more for Genesis. I'm Asid, your host and the creator of the game. Now let's jump into this week's episode. Hey champions, this is Asid, and last week we started our conversation around why there are no mulligan rules in Genesis. We didn't start the design of the game with a mulligan system, but after a lot of debate, I firmly believe that it doesn't need one. So if you want to hear more about that description, check out the previous podcast. But I just want to go over an example of why I'm sticking to my beliefs. Uh, I was watching a game the other weekend. And at the beginning of the game, both players drew the opening hand. And one of the players was very disappointed because every single card in the opening hand was the three chi card except for one card which was a four chi and they were playing nubia and they were complaining about how terrible of an opening hand this is for her and for the deck that they were putting together and then they drew their first two cards for the first round and again it was the same thing more three chis and it just kind of goes to show this is what you get if you decide to build a timeline where you're running seven angels of retribution the more eights and sevens and sixes you put in, the higher risk there is that you're going to have an opening hand of threes and fours. So I really want to, I like the fact that Genesis puts that back on you saying you're welcome to put in as many strong cards as you want, but if you do, you have the risk of dropping a lot of low cards as the game goes on. So that aside, this week we're going to be talking about why there are no sideboards in Genesis. Let me just take off my jacket here. Alright, so first I need to be clear what a sideboard is. Because as far as I can tell, this concept of sideboarding came from Magic the Gathering. And if someone else has more resources of where the origins of this whole thing came from, let me know. I'm sure it's from some other game and Magic just uh, borrowed the idea. but. For this reason, I thought it was really important to kind of go from their website and explain to you how it works. So a magic deck consists of 60 cards, but you can also have an extra 15 cards that come along with it and yet are not part of the deck. So tournament matches are typically determined by a best two out of three set of games. For the first game, both players play with their main decks the primary 60 cards that would be the same for the start of each match. After game one, the players have the option to swap any number of the card, the 15 cards from the sideboard in an effort to make their deck better suited to win the next game. So it was really important to explain the tournament structure and how sideboards play into that because sideboards more than anything are important for competitive play. So they're an extension of your main timeline, your main deck, that you tap into to help your deck deal with a situation that it's not normally designed for. So for example, imagine you're playing a rain deck that does, it, does really well in most situations, playing against Malik or playing against Fong and Long, but if your opponent's playing an angel deck, like you're playing against Nubia or Raha and they drop an angel, your deck's completely at a loss. So what do you do in a situation like this? Like in competitive play, this is not cool. Like you need to have your deck 
you can't expect the 50 cards you put in to be able to suit themselves for every single situation that comes your way. What happens if you're playing against an Idris Scorpion deck? Uh, you're playing as an Idris Scorpion deck, but cognitive restriction is causing you a lot of issues, and that's because you decided uh, you'd rather main board your underworld knowledges instead of mythical protections to make your deck a little bit faster. Well, then your deck could do really well against a cognitive restriction deck except for you didn't put in the mythical protections so how much of that ownership should be on initial deck design and how much ownership should be on leeway to be able to modify your deck as a tournament goes on because you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you enter a tournament with a particular deck and all your competitors are playing something that nerfs your deck there's nothing you can do about it there's no way you can win or even pose a real challenge so uh, you, uh, one thing I've kind of realized, and this was one of my initial thoughts when writing this podcast, is that if it if this is so important for competitive play, why didn't we have this rule in place for sideboards from the very beginning? And to be honest, it's not that we didn't. It's not like uh, the mulligan rule where I didn't expect competitive play, so I never put it in. It was actually something that from the very beginning I was thinking about and trying to figure out how to solve again i thought there would be more time there wasn't but when we got into it i realized that all my solutions i had come up with none of them really worked so i'm going to go over four of the major ideas that i came up with and tell you kind of the pros and cons of each uh and then kind of leave you where i'm at now and maybe you can help me develop this idea further so the first idea we had was instead of having a timeline that's purely 50 cards at 250 points, you have your timeline and then a sideline or sideboard timeline, which is the total is 60 cards and your total chi has to be 300 or less. So this was really easy because it just expands off of the current deck building process. Uh, it's not too much different than what you currently have, but the more I thought about this, the more it kind of dawned on me the biggest issue about this. You could have 300 uh, points evenly split between your two decks, but your timeline, so your timeline's 50 cards, your sideboard's 10 cards. What happens if you made your sideboard 10 cards all at 3T, meaning that it's only 30 points, and that your main board is now the remaining 270? And this really messes up the scale because as game designers, we bank on the fact that an HE is offset by three and four. And for that reason, when we make an HE that uh, goes into our formula, we give extra points to it so that it can be a few notches above a seven. The difference between a six and a seven is not the same as the difference between a seven and an eight when we look at sheer power. So this system didn't work because we didn't want you to be able to put in too many eights that are bounced purely by not enough low chi cards we don't want too many of the high cheese without the low cheese going back to the mulliganing thing in the previous podcast or earlier example you don't want to play against someone who has a really strong angel deck and they didn't have to put in anything in the timeline to offset those angels because then they're just going to be running powerhouses and yes the argument can be made that you will too but as game designers, it's not the way we intended it, right? So the next idea 
and maybe you came up with this when I was kind of speaking it through, is to have your main deck, 50 cards, 250 points, and your sideboard, 10 cards, 50 points, and those always have to fit. So if you want to take an 8 out from your main board, you have to put in an 8 from your sideboard. It's a one-to-one -one swap. Uh, you can only swap cards of the same chi levels. And this, on paper, sounds like it's a perfect way to approach this because then the timelines will always stay balanced, but you have a way to kind of swap things out and play a little bit more with being able to be more mutable for what you're playing against. And I thought this was a great idea until I kind of thought about the other side of it, the logistics, the people. How do you confirm that this? if you're playing against your opponent and your opponent swaps two cards, you don't want them swapping out a three and putting in an eight. So you need to make sure they're not cheating. And to do that, the best way I thought about doing it was having judges officiate any sideboard swaps. And this seems like it would make sense, but at certain size tournaments, it just doesn't work. If you have one judge and maybe 20 people playing, then it'll just take too long for the judge to come by and just officiate every single swap. Uh, and it could the logistics of it could be really challenging especially if we look at getting to bigger and bigger tournaments and we don't want to put a process in place that only works for the small tournaments we want it to be universal throughout what we're doing especially for such a key feature like cyborg so there are some kinks to work with this process but in the back of my mind i think this is probably the way we're going to go if we can work out those kinks now we did have two other ideas uh they never really got tested, but there are two ideas that maybe will actually just turn into alternate uh, competitive forms or alternate casual forms even. So one idea is uh, one champion, multiple timelines. So the idea here is if, for example, you're playing with Malik, you can have your Malik, and then one of your timelines is to play with Malik as a brute. So you're running a lot more vampire kisses, jumps, landslides, all these type of heavy hitting things. Uh, you're, and then you have a second timeline for him where he plays more uh, strategical, so you're running uh, some more decoy rabbits, you're running some more giant scorpions, things that allow you to play both near and far. And then you have a third timeline, which is a lot more about uh, let's throw a wrench in their system and play Malik more as a, um, as a, a summoner, so running a lot of giant scorpions, running maybe even skies or primordial forces, death companions, things like this. And the idea here is uh, each time you come in, you choose which timeline you want to play with, and after you lose, you can choose to swap your timeline, or I mean between games, you can choose to swap your timelines or stick with the one you currently have. The downside to this is that it would require you, the players, to then buy so many more cards. If you wanted to put in six Vampire Kisses into each timeline, you needed to own 18, and that's massive. I mean, from a company perspective, uh, and I'll be honest, we do want you buying more cards, but I understand from the player perspective, that's not what you want, especially if this is just a casual hobby. You don't want to be excluded from competitive play just because you don't have enough money to even play the game. That's just not fair. The other idea is multiple cham champions, multiple timelines. So you can come in with a Malik timeline, a Raha timeline, and a Kendra timeline, 
And it plays a little bit more like those fighting games, like Marvel vs. Capcom, or where you pick a team of three characters, one goes in, starts the fight, once they're killed, they swap out for another champion, and then that champion then goes off at full health. So it becomes one long stream of a game instead of multiple rounds, and you really need to hope, if you're losing, that you're, just say your middle character can come in and knock out two champions or something like that. Um, there's some logistics to this. One of the issues, like we had with the previous idea, is that, again, it's a bit pricey for the players. And we don't want to put that extra burden of price. But it's a really cool idea, and it might be a format I want to explore someday in the future. Uh, the other side to it is the flavor of the game is that you are the champion you're playing with. So I didn't like this idea that you are Malik. I am Malik. I'm walking into this battlefield. I am a brute. I am the chieftain of Vishud. And then Malik's defeated, and now all of a sudden you're someone else. Uh, it didn't quite jive with me on flavor. So I wasn't too keen on this idea, especially on the competitive side. Maybe it's a better casual format than anything. And then the other side to it was um, it... It, once you're losing, it would be really, really hard to pick it back up. But I see this all the time. Like, if you ever play the PvP system for Pokemon Go, it's really hard once you're losing to pick it back up, but it's still possible. I've been playing against people who I defeat their first Pokemon, and I'm like, hey, I'm on a roll. My Pokemon's doing really well. And all of a sudden, they drop something, and it's like, oh, I didn't plan for that counter. And that counter ends up destroying everything else. So... Those are cool ideas. I don't know which one we're gonna run for, forward with, but I, I think they're really, really cool. Uh, so, again, if you have ideas on how to approach the sideboard, if there's an idea out there that I haven't thought of, please pitch it to us. I'd love to try it out. Um, and as many of you know in the community, we are listening to your ideas. We are working them, and there will be a future podcast about stuff we're coming out with. Um, hopefully ending of March, I'm going to be talking about a new format that we're going to be exploring as a more broad scale release. This podcast is going to be a little long, so I'm going to have to rush through the last little thing. But if you can, if you have any ideas, please let us know. So um, one thing, last week I on Facebook, I asked a bunch of people if you prefer video, the vlogs or podcasts. Majority of people voted vlogs. I am working on this process. I just need to figure out a filming booth. So I'll probably try to put something together. Maybe sometime later this month into next month, I'll start doing the video pro process and start pitching them that way and then splitting out the audio so that they can be uploaded as podcasts as well. Uh, the other thing, we're working on more gameplay videos. So those should be coming out. I just sat down to work on some of the audio stuff. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, let me know what you... Uh, what ideas you have in mind. If you want your games filmed, reach out to me and I will try to come to an event you're at and start filming some of your games. Um, and then lastly, I want to give a huge shout out to all our patrons. Uh, one thing you make this possible without your support, uh, we re really wouldn't be doing so many cool things. And one of the cool things we are doing because of the support of the patrons is a promo card for our convention in April called Ragnarok. Uh, it will be a really, really awesome promo. It looks gorgeous. Damian, who did the champions for beta, he did the artwork for this. It looks awesome. All the patrons, you're gonna get a, you're gonna get an exclusive copy of this promo. So not only are you gonna get the standard promo that everyone at the convention is getting, you're gonna get a second version of it that will look even more amazing. So 
if you want to be part of the Patreon, if you want to start being part of the getting the uh, these types of promos, being a contributor to the entire process, don't forget to check out uh, patreon.com slash genesispoc and we will provide links. Uh, check out all that kind of stuff. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any ideas, feel free to leave them in the comments below. That's it for now. Bye. That's everything for this week's cast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any topic ideas for future casts, make sure you let us know by emailing us at contactus at hauntedcastlegaming.com. Bye for now.